there are few thoughts or principles uh, that could could be taught that will strike our modern ears any more offensive than the subject we're going to talk about today, and that are that 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 is the 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 instructions regarding submission. If you read through, for instance, the passage where we find ourselves in Ephesians, you can't avoid Paul's admonition for both wives and husbands. As we're going through this series in Masterpiece, and we're looking at the book of Ephesians, and we, I came to this passage, and I'll be honest with you, I thought, wow, you know, this would be a really good time to speed up the series and just jump right over that one. I thought, you know, it's, that would be dishonest. It would be a little cowardly. Uh, but there is a hesitation to speak or even to listen about this particular topic because of the misunderstanding, because of so much teaching that we've received regarding a slice of this, this one idea. So here is the big idea about today's message. God invades our lives He invades our personal relationships, especially our family relationships. And the application is this. When we choose to honor and to bless one another, especially to those who are in your home, the people you live with, the people you've grown up with, the people that you're in a married relationship with, when we choose above ourselves, to submit to, to love, and to care for one another, we honor and we bless God. Let's read this passage together, uh, this, this one section in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. <laughs> and some of you guys, you've probably already got this underlined or highlighted in your King James Bible. Wives... Submit to your own husbands, and the word on is very specific. It's not everybody's husband, it's not everybody else, it's to your own husband. As to the Lord, in the same way that you submit to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as... Christ loved the church in the exact same way and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands, you're to love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Notice that, that the attention, the focus, the sacrifices on the man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, 
Each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. For some women, I can imagine that Paul's instruction to submit to your husband uh, just about makes your head want to explode. If it were any of those other husbands, or even the principle of submission seems so foreign and so disconnected with where we are in society. I probably triggered an emotional response for some of you just by reading this passage. Much of our, our, our bristling or uh, the, the fact that it puts us on edge against submission is a result of the ways that this idea has been twisted and changed. We hear submission and immediately we add in uh, unconsciously uh, ideas of, oh, that there's something that, about inferiority. There's something uh, uh, about placement. There's something about tyranny. There is this open uh, potential for abuse. All of that begins to happen emotionally. But submission in marriage, Paul says, is a gift. It's a gift from God. And it's designed to help us to grow and to make us more like Him. God's not poking at you. God's not coming after you. God is not asking something unreasonable or unusual. God's call for you. Wives is to submit to your husbands. And that's far from anything, anything that has to do with diminishing your worth as a woman, your value, your significance, your equality as a human being, as a follower of Jesus. There are, therefore, now, you know, no one, there's no Jew or Greek or man or woman or any of that in the kingdom. This is an invitation for you to reflect Jesus and his grace in your life in how you submit to leadership. And we do it every day in every other realm, and we don't think that much about it. You do it in the classroom, you submit to the university to your high school, to the professors, to the principal. You do it on your job with managers and bosses and supervisors. We do it uh, in government to different people. We've just had elections in different political positions. We do it all the time in almost every realm you can think of. You submit to your doctor. You submit to the pharmacist. You, know, you, you get a bottle with a word on it that you can't even pronounce, you have no idea what it is, and you take the pill. We don't think it's that weird in any other way, but here there is this spiritual and emotional, uh, and I think even an, a mental pushback. That there, there, is, there is a resistance here. I'm a pastor. I do counseling. And the truth of the matter is, I have seen the concept of submission defined 
and so have you, and redefined in so many ways. Sadly, I have seen this principle used, manipulated, and abused to fulfill selfish agendas. I have seen this scripture weaponized uh, and used to aid in the manipulation of another person and at times even to abuse someone else. I've seen uh, the Bible uh, perverted and taken out of context, and you have too. As a Christian, uh, even this past week, uh, I heard a lot of messages. And I listened to young preachers and old preachers, male preachers and female preachers. I listened to men and women across denominations and several from within our own uh, you know, tradition. And I've heard lots of messages admonishing women to be a submissive wife. But sometimes, and, and I've noticed this, and you probably have too, I don't hear as much about establishing a genuine, loving, intimate, caring relationship and marriage, which is the point and the emphasis of this particular text, as well as other passages like in Peter uh, and, and in other places, even in the idea that's presented in the Gospels, what marriage is supposed to be. And so as I look through Scripture, and today we're just going to zoom in on Ephesians 5. I wrote pages and pages and, and realized, okay, i got to stop and, and just put a lot of those, most of those uh, away. We're just going to deal with this one idea in this one passage because that's all we'll have time for. Let's look at where this idea comes from because I see so much more about love in this passage than I do about submission, but it's the submission part that triggers us. Do you know that, in fact, the word love is used in some way, shape, or form more than twice as much as the word submission is used in, in this text? There is this, this big, this significant, real umbrella of love that is absolutely foundational to this concept. But many times, in fact, I think most of the time, that gets overlooked because of this one word that shows up in this passage. So I want you to relax, especially you ladies, because I'm not here to teach you how to submit to an unloving husband. That would be like training a child to swim out of the water. You know, oh, yeah, I'm going to just start doing swim lessons. Uh, oh, do you have a pool or a lake or something? No, we're just going to do it in the living room. You can teach the fundamental strokes, but that, that's going to be superficial. That's going to be theory. When we were kids, my sister wanted to take piano lessons. Uh, I was more interested in baseball at the time, so I signed up to play ball. She signed up for piano lessons. The only problem is we were always broke growing up. I was raised in a lower middle income home. We couldn't afford a piano or not even a keyboard. So do you know what they gave my sister? It was a cardboard piano. 
It was just the keyboard. It's about this long. And you unfolded it. And there was like, it looked like a piano. So my sister would unfold this on the kitchen table or put it on the seat of the couch and get on her knees in front of it and pretend to play the piano for me to teach you how to be submissive or even to do that without the context of your relationship is just as absurd. And men, if you are not under grace and in submission to Christ and living in a loving, sacrificial way while you have cashed in your rights your position and all of your influence in your relationship, not just with your wife, but in your home. I say this empathetically because I honestly believe and my experience tells me that too many women have been dragged down in unhealthy and even dangerous relationships And yet, oftentimes, they're just given the simple cliche of submission. You just need to submit rather than getting the real help they need to confront and to heal the root problems that are in your relationship. Men and women, I'm going to encourage you, don't let something just continue like that. And don't let the the substance of your relationship be degraded while you hide behind Bible verses. Do the hard work. And for some of you, it will be hard work, but it will absolutely be worth it. Because there's so much more to a happy, healthy, strong, vibrant relationship than just this principle this idea, just this word, submission. And there's more that's found in the unconditional, life-giving, marriage-nourishing love of Christ that has to be both given and received by both husband and wife. So when I talk about submission, I know there's already an idea. There's already a fundamental concept or a bias you have one way or another. Uh, You've already bought in and said, well, I'm just going to check that box. And yeah, I don't know. There are times I think, I don't know if I like this structure, but I would never say that out loud. Others say, no, you know what? I'm 21st century, and this sounds just almost ludicrous to my ears. And I I can't accept this. And so the premise that I'm speaking to you from is, what is it you think you're accepting or rejecting when you even hear that concept? You've probably, at this point, already developed ideas about that that may or may not be what Scripture's actually talking about. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think it is. I think it's probably not. So what is biblical submission? It's not the same as what pop culture would say. The word submission comes from a Greek word, hupotasso, and it's a definition of submission, and it's very purposefully used and very seldom in Scripture. 
in one context, it was used as a military term. And it was the word that gave definition to how do we organize this structure. It has something to do with rank, but not so much. It's the same way uh, you put positions together on a football team or a baseball team or a soccer team or any other athlete. You, you put people in different positions. There's nothing um, significant about that as far as the value of the worth. You do the same thing in your companies. You do the same thing in society. You do the same thing in, with governments. We do it in all these other realms. It's to place in certain positions for the purpose of being organized. And we're not talking about, when I use the word rank, I know that can be a trigger. It doesn't mean importance. It doesn't mean value. It is a hierarchy of accountability. It's a hierarchy of accountability. Now, I, I'm, I'm not really woke, <laughs> uh, but I understand and I'm a thoughtful person, and I, I see that our culture is going through a historic period where we are so easily triggered, are we not? We are so easily prompted and offended. I never knew I was supposed to be offended about so many things until the last five or ten years, and it's just ramped up, even the last year. I think, oh, I'm supposed to be not just offended at that person. I'm to feel outrage. To feel outrage about something. And my emotions completely take over. I understand we're living at a place where there's no tolerance for disagreement. Usually, without listening, without giving serious thought to any idea or concept that's different than what we have already submitted ourselves to. When you read this passage or a passage like this, or you listen to someone, especially a guy, especially an uh, older <laughs> man, you know, conservative guy like me, uh, or you listen to anything, uh, you know, about the idea of submission you may feel like, I'm already getting offended. Where does that come from? When Paul wrote this letter, I just want to give you an idea of what was going on in his culture and his context uh, when he you know, gave these instructions. It might surprise you that marriages were mostly arranged at that time and in that culture and still in that part of the world often are. I know it seems unusual in an American culture, and it seems just as unusual to them that we fall in love and we pick our own mates and that's not working out really. <laughs> Statistically, we're not doing that great a job at it, so we don't really have a lot of high moral ground. But at that time, marriages were arranged, morals were really loose, you had all these different cultures coming together, uh, you had different ideas and ways to get around things. If you came from a legalistic home, or from a morally loose home, you figured out ways. Marriages and homes and the issues that surrounded those were to be applied equally to all Christians. And this was a problem, this was a difficulty, because there were so many cultures coming together, clashing and, 
and, and crashing into each other. So Paul says, I don't know what culture you came from, and you might have brought a lot of baggage from that with you if you're Roman or Greek or Jewish and you've already got these ideas. He said, we're going we're gonna to push this aside. We're going to look at Christ. We're going to live under grace. And we're going to see that the ideal for marriage was to be a lifelong union of body, mind, and spirit between a man and a woman. Just that one sentence is enough to blow up my email for the rest of the week. I hope you don't. One of the chief spiritual diseases of the ancient world was an extremely low view of women. This was across cultures. It was across civilizations. Folks who did not even know each other and maybe would eventually only meet one another on, on the battlefield when they're trying to take one another's land didn't understand a lot about where each other was coming from or their lifestyles or how they lived. But this one thing they had in common, they all had a very low view of women. Jesus shattered that. He blew that up. Until this moment, you know, a woman was not seen really as a person, but as an object. And I do not exaggerate that. They were without very many rights at all. And the rights they did have were easily manipulated and, and discarded. Divorce, you can go back and read even Deuteronomy. It was tragically easy for the man, for the husband. It was very difficult and costly for the woman. She almost always lost. One Jewish leader said women are for marriage and they are for divorce. And oftentimes they would do that and they had the right to do it uh, for any reason they deemed which she's not worthy, she's not living up to you could burn the dinner you didn't have to do something catastrophic or super damaging to your relationship you just had to in his eyes not, not measure up and he could divorce you it was, it was awful and the woman was helpless and defenseless So this whole section of scripture that we're looking at was written in the atmosphere of super easy divorce among both the Jews and the Gentiles. Family life was crashing. It was wrecked. Marriage was on its way to a complete breakdown. You can go back and read about the marriages and the relationships, just glimpses of them in either under the old covenant or in the new. And you'll see, we, we may think, well, we're unique and something horrible's going on. It's always been like that. But Jesus redefined everything. And where he began, and I, I, don't, I think there's no one. Ladies, there has, you've never had a champion. You have never had anyone who has done more for women than Jesus. 
which is shocking to me that some people push back against, especially conservative Christianity, and say, oh, that's, you know, this is thing, and it's thing. I think, wow, no, you don't, you don't see the freedom and the liberty. And that's, that's the background that Paul writes Ephesians. He calls us out, men and women. He's calling us out to a new purity and a new commitment to love and to unity in marriage. One of the things I'm impressed with is that, uh, I just want to give you this thought. Christ was present at the time of creation. Now, I want you to stay with me all the way to the end, but, uh, but I want you to think about this because it kind of connects to the side here. He was present at the time of creation. Colossians 1.16 says, through everything that was created, it happened through Jesus. That everything was by him and for him and through him. That all of this was created. He was the creator God. Yet, in his life, Jesus submitted to the Father. There is this co-equal relationship and status of the Trinity. We're not even going to go to the Trinity today. That's, That's a whole other thing. But there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's level, it's co-equal, it's beautiful in its unity and in, 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 its, in its life. But Jesus chose submission to the Father in heaven. But I just want you to wrap your mind around that, that even the creator of all things chose submission. The reason we see submission, I think one of the reasons at least, uh, as kind of a bad word right now, is apart from the enemy's way of twisting every holy thing we know. Even when I use the word grace, which is one of the words that frustrates me because I think a lot of people buy into something that's not really grace. It's just more religion. And I think this is rarely talked about outside of the context or references in Scripture to marriage. When I say submission, what do you think? They immediately think of this passage or the passage in Peter. Jesus submitted. God called all believers to submission. In fact, God designed this voluntary, this this dance, this coordination of submission and sacrificial love in marriage that just flung open the doors of healing and intimacy and oneness for couples. Biblical submission in marriage is not weakness. And it's not by, in, in any way, the only time a believer is called on to submit. Biblical submission is highlighted in marriage, but it's not so that uh, a, a woman can become a doormat for an abusive or an ungodly husband. That is so far from Scripture and so far from the heart of God and so far from what I'm, what I'm teaching. Within the family... Paul talks about the the power and the the 
effect of the gospel and how it changes the relationship between husbands and wives as well as between parents and children. And you can read that as this context goes on and as he, and as he moves into chapter 6. And in chapter 6, he moves from the word submission when he talks about children. He says, children, obey your parents. Submission is softer. Obey is pretty direct. If we're just going through the motions of some kind of empty religiosity, is that a word? Then our children are going to be the first to spot our hypocrisy. That mom and dad aren't at church or in public what they really are at home. And there's a disconnect there. And that will affect their future commitment to faith. Our children will be the first to spot that uh, in, in, in so many ways if you're just going through the motions. According to LifeWay research, about 70% of teenagers will drop out of church between the ages of 17 and 19. That's a small window, but there's a, there's a powerful magnet and pull. However, there are some very definite factors that contribute to their successful return to church. How many of us as adults, at one point we rebelled, maybe it was during your teenage years, maybe you waited until college, um, or at some point in your life, and then you came back to the faith. There was a gap, there was a hole there, so you moved back to that. Ed Stetzler said this, when teenagers see an active practice faith in their parents, and other positive examples at church, they'll stop being dropouts and they start being disciples. I've been a youth pastor and I've been a pastor, I've been a father, I'm a grandfather. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that played out in real life. Too often, we place the most emphasis from this passage on a wife's submission to her husband. We reduce it down to like that's the key issue. Paul spends four out of the total 12 verses to explain what he means by this. The majority of Paul's instructions are to, guess who? Husbands. He spends seven out of 12 verses explaining to husbands What is your role? And you are to love your wife and even to lay down your... This is that hierarchy of accountability. You go so far as to lay down your life for those in your family. That's the way Christ modeled this relationship. And we follow him in that submission. I just wanted to cover this passage as fairly as I can. I know there are modern terms that have been applied uh, to that. And when I went into this, I don't like labels. So I pulled back and I thought, well, I don't want to be called this. I don't want to be called that. And I don't want to be seen as, you know, this intolerancy or, you know, for those who are watching online, maybe you're connected or not connected to a church or to teaching. 
And the minute we began doing this, you thought, I knew it. There it is. That's what I think about Christians. That's what I think about Baptists or, or one of the other denominations. And that's one of the things that motivate me during the week to, to get a broad perspective and to cross the, all these lines and to think, what is the teaching? And then to pull me back and to say, God, what does your word unapologetically, blatantly say? Because a lot of the articles and commentaries I've read will walk through this and go, okay, so what he means, he's really not saying what it looks like he's saying, but what he's really saying is this. And I read this whole passage, and I read the whole letter, and I've listened to this letter from different versions of Scripture. I've broken it down in the original language. And folks, it pretty much says what it says. And that's typically true with Scripture. Yes, there's some deeper meanings or some hidden things. For instance, when he says, you know, present to, to, to the, the wife holy through the washing of the water of the word. I think, what does that mean? I mean you know, what, what is he talking about there? There was a ceremony right before the wedding, right before the wedding. where There was this bridal, uh, this washing, this bathing uh, that happened. And, you know, we have all of our traditions and ceremonies, and many of the ones they did, we still do today. You know, we still connect to those and, and not even realize they have a, a covenant or a, a, a biblical root to them. We think, oh, well, I never knew why we did that, but we do that. Yeah, we do that. We have a best man, and we have, I mean, we have all these things are connected. We can talk about that another time. This is one where, where, where the, the wife-to-be, right before this ceremony, that, that she went through this, this bathing process, and it was just this, this beautiful thing, and it was part of that. And it's cleansing. So see, this is like a metaphor. This is a picture. This is a reference that he's using for marriage, for, for the wedding, for the relationship itself. And men, he is reminding you of your incredible responsibility as a leader and as a lover in your home, as the husband, with the accountability and everything that goes with that. It was absolutely never the heart of God for you to use that for your advantage, for you to weaponize God's word for selfish purposes. Ultimately, and you see this again and again, it's such a beautiful thing that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Biblical submission must be voluntary, and so must sacrificial love. Thank you for listening. God bless you.